podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Chris Prunty. On today's episode, we continue our delicious expedition into the world of a thousand flavors. On today's episode, we're actually going to be introducing factions, events, and conflicts into this pretty cute but ultimately dark world. Chris, why don't you go ahead and give us a start? Barbarians. I want bar- barbarians. Barbarians? Bear bees? Uh-huh. Okay, it's like barbarian but bears. Oh, so yes. not like bee barbarians, but barbarians. Chris isn't having a moment. He's actually trying to make a punny thing. It's a great pun. Everyone loves it. <laughs> okay, Trump. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. But uh but no, Chris I, is officially the Trump of the podcast. Fuck now. you, I am not. <laughs> He's going to get reelected then. <sighs> yeah, that means he gets to keep showing up on the podcast. It's great. Not being investigated for any fraud yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> but no, I, it it's a placeholder for uh, what I wanted to do as the group of apex predators that didn't want to kind of... Uh, bend to societal norms in this world of not eating each other. Uh, And I wanted it to not be like the depicted as the Reavers in certain aspects or like uh, the uncivilized people from the North who like cannibalize because to them, it's just the natural order of things. I imagine that these are Northlanders as well, where food is even more scarce than normal. For like the Windigo kind of effect of like, well, no, that's just how... because with with snow and tundra, there's just demonstrably less food, mm. so there is more of a, an excuse for them to have to eat other animals. But I also wanted to be like they draw the line at kind of other members of their group. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, while it can be done, it's more in a r- real. Uh, ritualistic kind of way if they have to do it or a time of desperation but for the most part they get their food from uh ravaging uh other areas and i wanted them to be uh opposed to the monks and religious folks that i uh brought up in our previous one Mm -hmm. mainly because i always love here well love is a strong word but i remember reading stories about how vikings would uh raid churches and everything and like all of the monks would go up into a tower and just wait for them to leave (laughs) yeah love is not the word you want to use for like the butchering of people Uh, interested (laughs) yeah interested for sure yeah that's that's actually kind of interesting can we can we add a little i i had an idea can we add a little bit extra to this where the barbarians uh, <laughs> prefer to eat those who put up a better fight because Ooh, they think yeah. it's more honorable in some way. Better prey. Mm, mm. No, Tastier they just taste prey. better for some Tastier reason. Prey. Yeah. Yeah. Adrenaline yeah. in endorphins. Well, I mean, usually that sours the meat a little bit, but oh. uh, I would say that, <laughs> yeah, you, you want to take them unknown. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's, like, that's accurate. Bam, actually, oh, because otherwise storm. the meat can get like tense and gross. Oh, so are they sneaky barbarians? Like, so we're not picturing like, giant like monsters. well no this isn't real world daniel i think in barbarian yeah. world they don't really give a fuck you know i don't think oh, that they're oh. butchering people in the middle of the night oh so they're not stealthily attacking to keep the meat fresh have you <laughs> seen a bear they're incapable of stealth man you can have stealthy bears they're called okay. drop bears they're the ninjas of the bear yeah, world. Drop bears. <laughs> but those like aren't that. even bears those are marsupials chris <laughs> oh i have a question for you chris about these barbarians go on do okay well the question is what's their relationship to insects but my real question is because the insects are like the wildlife they are very do, very different from insects but do they on. ride the insects oh my god you you just want to have your vorpal ladybug oh, yes. yep um they don't well, them, we'd right? have a, well, no we would have like a, a woolly lady ladybug here like they yeah. would be like furry insects here they wouldn't like be elephant vorpal. size yeah the yeah, flying actually, ones are the vorpal ones Sure. Yeah, sure. I don't know anything about tundra insects, but uh, Wool- like woolly spiders. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that. Oh go. god. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was interested, and then I pictured it in my mind. 
So, but do they do they eat the like do they treat the insects as as other source of food or do they have like an alliance with them like how does we, that work with them? We could have it more of where the insects are uh, seen as a companion, so they're okay. similar to the uh, other members of their group, where mm-hmm. maybe they'll uh, bleed out the insect for some of its ichor and kind of survive off of that, but they see it as slightly taboo to uh, eat something that they've bonded with in such a way. Oh, I love that. Hmm. Mm. Cool. Going for a. I'm not going to pronounce his name the way Rob wants. Yangus Khan? <laughs> uh, Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Oh, uh, oh, that's, another. That's close. That That's acceptable for someone like you. <laughs> <laughs> you prick. Burn. Another another question. Um, so like we we Rob had asked about their landscape of where they where they live and how is it like a dearth of of food because in the north, um, we talked about the ley lines and that they're the things that have kind of broken down their their plant life where things grow. Is the ley lines near them like dead or are they just far away from them or do they have their own kind of ley line? Hmm. I. I kind of wanted them to be against the ley lines as the fact that there are they're so separate from this group mm-hmm. that say whenever civilization, well, civilization isn't quite the right word, uh, when non-nomadic people were kind of setting down in this world, mm-hmm. they looked for the ley lines. They made things on the ley lines, whereas these people always traveled to points uh, or along the ley lines. Yeah, that makes sense because they, they're friends with the insects, so they could actually live among them, which I imagine the insects don't necessarily live near the ley lines. Mm. I mean, they could. Mm. I'm getting a vibe where, like, they don't really use magic very much. I'm getting mm-hmm. a very strong, like, Fafford from Fafford and the Grey Mauser, like, yeah. Lonkmar series, like, where it's a matter of there's magic, but only one person uses the magic and no one trusts them, mm-hmm. you know? And because it's all food based, I imagine that it's like, very simple very like here eat the eat this like muffin you know eat this very bland muffin but it's still going to imbue you with some kind of symbolic strength or something like that yeah i i kind of uh when i was thinking them up i thought of uh, a character that i remember reading in pathfinder that was like eat eats what he kills yes that is from uh curse of the crimson throne uh, no, I'm sorry. Hold on. I have no, I think that is Curse of the Crimson Throne, or that Cur- that that it's story arc. The, yes, it's from Curse of the Crimson Throne, and the character's name is. Hold on, Crojan eats what he kills. Eats what he kills. God damn it, that's a cool name. Yes, and also I wanted it to be the kind of mentality of when you eat something, you get its strength. So as they're conquering, whether it be real or it be imagined, they think that they're taking on the strength of uh, the victims or the people that they raid. Yeah. So that would make sense that they would target like the more stronger. Yeah. The more powerful warriors. Absolutely. What I like about them too, is that even though they are these barbarians, they, it seems like it's possible to reason with them and to have some sort of relationship where they don't eat you because they have a rationale to how they behave. My faction involves the opposite of food because Certainly, there must be people out there who uh, deny the flesh and delicacies um, and view the situation of the ley lines dying as some event to be heralded as a new beginning and praise it. So these, um, I don't have a name for them, but let's call them the abstainers. They are super religious and they live um, perhaps on a dead ley line, uh, like they've built their brutalist architecture on top of it. Um, I'm picturing like some kind of, you know, concrete tower or very stripped down Spartan kind of space. Um, a feature of them is that they actually hunt down the the magical Cheshire cats um, because they want to sacrifice them to whatever thing they worship. And um, perhaps in this dead tree or this dead edifice that they've built their structure on top of. And I, I, what I wanted to have as a visual is that this this structure they live in, it's it's maybe the ley line isn't quite dead, but what they do is they strip it periodically of its green to expose the bark. Um, and I, and maybe as an animals, I pictured something like the Skeksis or some unpleasant um, 
you know, like bird-like creatures perhaps. Um, but as a twist, I thought it would be neat if their leader was in fact um, one of the magical cats turned evil. Oh, that's fun. I also love the idea of a complex built around a dead tree mm-hmm. because I feel like there's a lot of uh, a lot of symbolism there that we can kind of, you know, glean off of. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't know like what exactly they worship, what their motivations are. I just picture them as being like, you know, as someone who drinks Soylent, evil Soylent um, uh, heretics. Perhaps. Evil Soylent? Evil this Soylent is, heretics. This is all we need. All we need is provided to us without the without the need of flavor yeah right so they're they're essentially like masochists but in like a no they're not no that's not no no not (laughs) purists (laughs) right i i also imagine that there's some like some aspect to them that is like all into flagellation Mm -hmm. you know where they're just like whipping themselves essentially oh oh wait this is gonna be awful holy shit Worse than that, they are scraping the taste buds from their <gasps> tongue. Yes, they don't. Oh, they don't. Their tongues are all messed up, and maybe their no, voices yes. are screwed up because of it. Oh, I love yes. that. Super oh, weird. that's great. Yeah. yeah, that's horrifying. And if and they're amazing. birds, that explains why they have this shrieking voice. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's awesome. And, and they probably pull out their feathers on purpose to make either like weapons with them, like the pinions, you know, as a oh, form yeah. of atonement, you know. Oh, that yes. Oh, that's yeah. Double up, double mm-hmm. up on it. So not only are they like fucking up their tongues, but now they're also like pulling out feathers because they think that, you know, that's it. That's the way that they can satisfy the. Okay, so do they worship a deity? Is that is that what we're experiencing here, where they're worshiping some kind of fucked up god? I think so. Although I'm a little bit torn because I feel like it might be too simple. That's why I was thinking like maybe they worship a leader like that evil cat, and it has a different goal. I just feel like deity might be too simple. Like the L. Ron Hubbard of yes. beefy, beefy cats. Yes. yes. Oh, that's ex- like that's that. exactly right, Chris. Yeah. That's like, exactly it, right. If it's an evil cat, like either we established each of the cats have like a philosophy or like a wisdom to impart about it has to do with food. So maybe this cat's wisdom is like a twisted thing, you know? Yeah, it's like maybe it's just a really greedy fat cat. Who's like, no, don't, don't eat the food. Give the food to me. <gasps> oh, give you me know, the like, other cats so I can eat them. Oh yeah. Maybe it thinks that it can absorb their power. Yeah. So secretly it really is into super, into flavor and everything, but it teaches its followers to deny themselves. Yes. You're also, not pure I, enough. I, I keep yeah. thinking about the tongue scraping and it just grosses me out so each time. <laughs> I'm like, Ugh, they use like a cheese gratery thing on their tongues. Oh, come on. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Mm-hmm. Ugh, ugh. Oh, God. OK, let's pivot away from this real quick, <laughs> uh, because that's awful. <laughs> so my faction, I, I, I haven't done a mercenary band yet. So I wanted to do something in the lines of, you know, like a, what, what are they? What are they called? The the band of Bravos or something like that? What are they? Called? Oh, yeah. Chris? Mm-hmm. Uh, Second Sons. Sure. Or uh, Brown Ben was one of them. Oh, shit. Yeah, I remember Second Sons being the big one. Gotcha. So I'm trying to do something that is more in lines with, you know, like uh, Game of Thrones' Second Sons or even, um, you know, like Band of the Hawk from Berserk. Something along those lines where you have a, a well-known mercenary company and, and what they're well-known for. So I decided to create the order of broken crowns and these are the the remnants of three kingdoms that were conquered by my event person who is rashad the Roadmaker, and essentially he was a conqueror who and i'll get to him in my event actually right after this but essentially they uh they are three king former kings who had their lands conquered and uh, decided that we still have armies, you know, we can still fight against this menace. If we join forces, we can defeat Rashad the Roadmaker and we can reclaim our kingdoms. And, you know, they meet and they decided to put aside their differences. And after years and years and years of fighting, they finally reclaim one city. 
And to their utter horror and disgust, when they get to that city, they're not welcomed as liberators. In fact, they are seen as invaders because Rashad has done such a good job taking care of those people that they do not want the previous Kings reinstalled anymore. And so dejected, they leave and essentially, well, we still have armies. I guess we're going to become mercenaries now. And years later, the remnant of the order of broken crowns is that mercenary company. What animals are they? Whatever is appropriate. Uh, I, I actually left that part fairly blank because I, I didn't really think about it. I know what Rashad is. Mm -hmm. Rashad is a stoat, but I oh. don't know what the other three are. And if you guys want, you can, you're more than welcome to add in now. Oh, are they a mixture of animals? Yeah, they were from three different kingdoms. So I imagine that mm -hmm. they're three different animals. Okay, so the bands now, they are a mix of, of different... That should be interesting. It's, it's a mix of different creatures. Yeah, in their absolutely. Armies. I, I was thinking that they each had their own specialty as well, because, you know, mm -hmm. let's say that each nation was known for one thing. Yeah. And so it was a matter of essentially keeping themselves in a state of deadlock or, 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 check, or stalemate, rather. So... You know, Would it maybe be food that's real, that's necessary, that depends, like ingredients that depend on each other to make a dish? See, I didn't even necessarily have it being food related right away. I was thinking more in terms of like combat abilities and combat strength. Mm -hmm. So it was a matter of, oh, these are the best infantry where they have, you know, the phalanx and shield wall. And then they have the best archers over here and the best cavalry over there. And then the three of them together actually form a very, you know, powerful group you know one of them could definitely be um, wolves or dogs i'm thinking i of think like... i would prefer dogs here dogs, I, or actually okay. uh let's make it foxes instead oh foxes yeah yeah let's so that, do foxes I mean, that's a that's one that had a stealthy kind of combat yeah chris um, what would you what would you i'll let you add your fursona to it what animal would you like to add in here it would definitely be a fox <laughs> all I right but fox, for you yeah. though you want the fox? Yeah, I okay. want the fox, yeah. All right, we'll add like a foxes. new one then. You got to add a new one. Drawing a blank. Christopher, what? you knew we were going to be talking about animal people and you're not ready for this? I'm, I'm not going to go into a fursona. What's but, a fursona? Uh, I will it's literally nothing. edit around it so you will say this. So you might as well get it out now. Hate you so much. Um, we haven't done anything with uh Yeah, let, let's. I want to. I want a herbivore. So let's go with uh, a chicken. <laughs> a oh, chicken! chicken. <laughs> okay. What I, is their I like fighting that. ability? Uh, I for some reason I'm imagining a chicken with a mustache and like, yeah. or at least, or like a Van Dyke maybe. You know, or... <laughs> a little spike helmet. I also just want a chicken oh, and yes. a fox teaming up. But well, that's how a good the, point. How do the chickens fight? We know the foxes are stealthy. Have you quick. have you ever seen it or played like Link to the Past or anything? I have not. Those chickens will fuck you up. <laughs> so they, they like swarm will. you? They just like swarm you? Is that what they're fat? They like in great in numbers? Yes. I imagine okay. that they're archers. You know, oh, like I, I think that archers they, they they will blot out the sun, you know, so we can fight in the shade. Okay, so then we need your phalanx one, and I think, Rob, you should pick that one. All right, so we need a strong one. Um, well, we have foxes, we have chickens. Mm -hmm. So, so range, what goes with stealth, that? And then we need, like, brutal strength or defense, Yeah, let's do brutal strength. Um, mm. And in my mind, right, I had these things as, like, using two maces, but, like, the, the kind of old-school maces that don't have, like, they're, they're basically just metal balls on a mm -hmm. stick. Yeah. You know, so they're they're very simple, but there can also be like drums essentially. Um I'm thinking like bears or oxen or something like that, but I feel Ooh, like that would be good. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. No, hold on. I have to I have to give this to my my heart of hearts and give a shout out to Brian Jock in Redwall. I'm gonna say that they are in fact badgers. <laughs> badgers yes so so the badgers are going to be like these tough badass dudes 
and they're the what yes that's that's exactly what's going on they're badgers so we okay. have the chicken fox badger order of the broken crowns mm-hmm. yes okay cool did you say what what was the thing that broke apart their um kingdoms in the beginning that, that took their kingdoms I'm so glad you gave me that segue into my event, Daniel, because the event that broke their kingdoms apart mm-hmm. was the coming of Rashad the Roadmaker. Oh. So Rashad the Roadmaker is essentially an empire builder. He is the one who he when, when he where he conquers, the spice traders follow. Mm-hmm. And as a result, he is the first one to essentially recognize that combining flavor profiles and combining spices from different lands leads to more potent and better magic. Mm -hmm. So he is the one who he essentially started out as uh, a stoat who is, you know, not native to the area and then grew up and was exiled and then recognized, Oh, wait a minute between this food and this food. If we combine certain things together, Oh, wow. That's even more, you know, that's even more potent. And so with that knowledge, he then creates an empire throughout the world that starts connecting, you know, you want to talk about like the, the silk road, essentially it's Mm -hmm. like that, but the spice road with this, where it's a matter of he's connecting continents together and becoming the nexus for spices and flavor. Alternatively, (laughs) you can call him the mayor of Flavortown. Oh my god! <laughs> I love this merch because a soat's such a tiny little, you know, weaselly creature. So it's like his real power comes from his his intelligence and his understanding of how commerce works. That's exactly right. He mm-hmm. is, and he don't get me wrong. He has armies. He, but more importantly, he's a master at tactics, diplomacy, mm-hmm. and trade. That's where his real power comes from. And and, and as I had mentioned in the faction breakdown. When he conquers people, he often leaves them better than where they were in their previous in their previous mm-hmm. state. So he's coming in and he's actually creating, you know, like I wanted to make a, a somewhat benevolent empire ruler. Essentially, I was kind of aiming for like an ancient Persian thing where, you know, they would come in and they would install governors essentially and be like, hey, look, you're allowed to keep most of your customs, most of your this, but we're going to install you know, this, this, and this to make your government run better. And also we're going to improve your economy. And also you just got to pay us some taxes and fealty and stuff like that. And occasionally throw some troops when we need it. Yada, 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 real simple stuff. And then that's essentially how they ran empires. And that's what I want to do with Rashad. You know, he is a conqueror. He's badass, but he's also more importantly, he's a diplomat and a governor. Do you also see it as one of like a figure that people refer to in the past sense of this empire, or is it kind of like an Alexander the Great currently out conquering kind of thing? Hmm. He is, I imagine that where we are now in the story, he is either very old or they talk, they talk or, or he, or it's been like a couple of years since he's passed. Is there a dark side that we don't know about? Cause like, so like I, I love the concept of the benevolent conqueror, but there's usually some um, catch that not everyone knows about. Like what's I mean, yeah, uh, he's he's still an imperialist. He's still okay. a conqueror, and he's still like what I would imagine is happening is when you take a look at what he does in terms of appropriating and you know kind of crushing other cultures mm-hmm. is that he'll come into a place and be like, look, this is what your spices are going to do now. This is the imperial way to cook this dish it's better trust me you Mm -hmm. know but meanwhile there's like some older tradition that is more flavorful just different or better and you know you see that a lot when it comes to imperialism with food in the natural world you see a lot of ancient techniques that are dying or dead because they're not as well known or they're more difficult or oftentimes because it's like hey you're going to use these different ingredients now stop making the food that you used to make the way that you do it. You know, you're making it wrong. Here's how you're going to be doing it, even though it's the, not necessarily the way that is better. So there's like a certain um, 
like if you run afoul of his new standard, then there might be a chance of a certain cruel efficiency you face. But otherwise, if you want to like work with him, then he can be great. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. For, for sure. But, but even, even if when you do work with him, he's going to get his cut, you know, yes. like that's just what <laughs> so it comes down to. Exacting and utilitarian, I guess. And like his thinking. Exactly. Yes. I also wanted my event to be something that affected the entire world as a whole. And I always like stories that have one big event of either magical origin or something that left a geographical like mark on the world. And I wanted it to be something like the scourging of salt, where there is just a salt flat that kind of scrubs through most of uh, the land. And it gives everyone kind of access to salt, but also it it's part of the reason of when stuff started dying because from here it kind of leached away uh, nutrition in the soil and started to spread outward. So this is like a bleaching ley line almost. Yeah. yeah. Is this a natural occurrence or is this something that was forced upon the land? I, I was seeing it as either someone had tampered with something that they weren't supposed to, or no one understands quite really why it's happening. Does it okay. come out of the evil cat land? Um, okay, no. let me... Oh. Sorry, go ahead. Finish I kind of like it in the uh, aspect of, like, the ley line, the spokes of the world are kind of just slowly breaking. Oh, so this mm. is like a, almost an effect or symptom of what's happening to the ley lines. Yes. Okay. Can I can I just kind of throw in my own um I would like to throw in my own fan fiction here <laughs> because now I'm thinking of something else and I'm picturing someone trying to make a soup in a giant lake or mm. someone trying to make a soup in like what is essentially like um uh what's it called Yellowstone National Park where they're <sighs> like all right there's a big geyser we're going to make a boat. We're going to make a broth and a stew out of it. And then for some reason, that ritual in particular summons a salt storm. So, because so you're, just- you're using a caldera as a cauldron. Yes, exactly. Nice. Right. Nice. Yeah. That's, and, that's the plan. And it's kind of, it's, I'm guessing this cauldron where the source of the salting is happening has poured into the veins of the ley lines. That would actually make sense. Like, it's not like a matter of an eruption, but a matter of it seeping into the ley line of the earth itself. It's like no. an environmental, um, what's, what is it called? Like when you have to have like an um, environmental cleanup when something like leaches into the land, into the soil. Contamination? Yeah, I just, I just can't think of the word. I know in, in real estate, there's like, you want to avoid that kind of situation because it's really expensive to have them to do an environmental like study on it. Oh, that oh it's incredibly expensive. Yeah. I forget what it is called, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, we're not smart enough to know what this is, Daniel. <laughs> but yeah. but um, I'm, I'm visualizing though, when Chris was describing like, if we take it to like the magic degree, you know, you could have the land turning white and trees turning to ash and like, you know, you could have really cool effects as a result of it poisoning the land. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was thinking that, of well, not only that, but like maybe a rain of salt or, oh, or something yeah. like that as well. Yeah, because like far away from the source, you're feeling the effects of flavor being drained from what grows in the earth. But the closer mm. you get to it, you probably see the actual earth warped by it. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good idea. How big is this area, Chris? I so I guess it would depend on the timeline in which you're thinking about this. I wanted it to be like something that went across the map but was very small and it has just slowly kind of built as a canyon kind of outward. Oh, so we're talking about a canyon. That's pretty cool. Well, a canyon, a scar, uh an a valley. It's kind of like going outward and kind of filling in natural areas as it flows out. Yeah, I like that. Like the bigger, the scarier, you know, and if it's big, the source, then it makes sense that it has far reaching effects. Yeah, I also like the idea that it it like can potentially swallow areas around it as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Can we can we talk about the inhabitants of this place, by the way? Like who lives there? Oh, I was going to say, like, if anything, uh, like maybe insects or something, but I, I, I I couldn't picture anyone wanting to live there. Are the insects made giant because of the source? Yes. Yes, they are. 
Like they they maybe they were normal insects, but now the world's being overrun by them because they're they're contaminated by it. And they need and being that they're insects, insects usually need like some symbiotic relationship with plants, right? Like especially like bees and stuff. So maybe they're like they can't get enough from the land because now it's being weakened by their sheer size, you know, and and this poison. I'm imagining that there's some kind of like a pill bug, you know, yes. like they're that they, because they don't necessarily need or, or they don't have as much of a symbiosis between plant life as as mm-hmm. others do. Oh, you know what really makes me mad? Okay, so those things, what are they? I think they're are they just called grubs? The things that live under the lawn, they eat it and they turn into beetles. And yeah, I believe they're like, called grubs. Yes. Yeah. There's like giant ass ones, I bet, that are ruining whole like farmlands, you know? Oh, yeah. Or maybe it's a matter of wherever this salt, you know, kind of chasm Mm -hmm. moves to, it pushes the grubs away or something like that. Or it makes them huge because the more grubs you have, the worse your vegetation becomes. They eat the roots. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, that's scary. Ooh, moths could live out there too. White moths. Hmm. Big ones. I, I don't buy that for a second because we all know there's no lamps out there. So. <laughs> That's true. It's very dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Daniel, what is, what's your next event? Uh, event. Let's see. My event that I was thinking about, um, we talked about in the first episode, there being either a culinary arts academy or a university where the best of the best with chef wizards go to study and learn more secrets and recipes and things. Um, I wanted to flesh out the uh, grand um, cooking contest, tasting contest that occurs where every nation sends their best of their best um, to compete. Yes, the and tournament arc. Yes, yes. Give it to me. And so here's here's what I'm thinking. Some stuff that happens there. Well, for one, you when you submit your contestants into this thing, there's a variety of tests to test their ability. Um, Some of those tests involve going on quests to hunt a dangerous insect or get a really a powerful ingredient from a dangerous place. So these tests are very deadly, right? For one, for two, um, they might be thrust into this underground labyrinth under the university. And they're blinded and they're deafened temporarily, perhaps with like um, a venom from, you know, a bee or some other horrible insect. And they have to rely on their smell and their taste to survive down there and to, to get whatever the prize is. And now third, the, to make this all worthwhile, I think there'd have to be a tremendous prize. And what I was thinking the prize could be would be possibly a seedling that's untainted by whatever poison is happening and that if it were planted in a particular nation or land, it could grow to be its own ley line and fertilize the area. So they're competing for the possibility of the renewal of one of their lands. I never thought that the ley lines were directly like attributed to plants before, mm-hmm. but I love that so much. Like I love the idea that ley lines are roots from very powerful magical trees or yeah, plants. That's in what general. I'm thinking. That's really cool. I love that. Uh, okay, so so what else can we do about uh, the Hogwarts Wizarding School of Cookery here? <laughs> cookery. Do they only yeah. let in a certain amount of people each year? Like, is it kind of like, uh, I'm thinking of Starfleet, where it's just like, oh, sorry, we can only let six people in. So, yeah, normally we would have let you in, but there were four better candidates. I, th- I think so. I think maybe, and I don't know, I don't know, it's a good question is, I don't know if, if the place is primarily only for this crazy contest or if it's normally a university where they train the best of the best and once every so often they have this contest. So maybe both, in which case I, it would be a limited few. I like to think that this is like, th- this is where the represent, this is where the representatives of each like type of cooking come. Mm-hmm. So it's like they, they, they bring to, they bring to this thing, the best brewer, they yeah. bring the best confectioner. They bring the bre- They bring the best baker, cook all that stuff. And they're like, all right, this is interclass warfare. Mm-hmm. Figure out who's going to be the one to do it and then go from there, you know? Yeah. And if, if the reward is the seedling, you know, every country is going to work towards preparing their best person to send because they want the seedling to, to renew their land. Now, Daniel, that of course brings me to my next obvious question, which is, where do they get the seedlings from? Ha. Huh. I think that has something to do with the cats. 
Uh, oh, they so leave maybe, a trail of seeds. <laughs> maybe like the chonky cat, the chonky beef cat sages. They like wander, and every now and again they will, or like they one of them in, partakes in a pilgrimage each year. Yes, and it's like, oh, I I'm the one who brought the seedling this year. You know, like my brothers or, or my, you know, my siblings are up for it next time. That type of yeah. thing. Yeah. And then maybe, maybe yeah. there's an honor of learning a secret from the cat that comes with that seedling. You know, the particular one that came. Oh, maybe it's also like the, the, maybe the, the, the cat sage has to follow and plant it in mm-hmm. that particular nation because oh, it's yeah. like, Hey, this is my sacred guard. Like, this is my sacred duty to come and plant this. Mm-hmm. I have to make sure that this goes through, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. That way there's not a chance of someone stealing it or corrupting it before it could be given. Yes. I'm also thinking, because now I'm thinking of the dramatic moments, right? Where we have the, in alternate history, there's some despotic tyrant who's like, we will not have the sages, you know, we will not. And so what they do is their representative wins that year and they, they take the seedling it. in it in front of everyone and destroy it. That's the abstainers do that for sure. The one of with course the, they run, do. run by the evil cat. Oh, what jerks. Yeah, exactly right. And it. also oh, horrible. Yeah, there's there's so much that you can do with that as well. I fucking adore it's messed it. Up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, events are out of the way. Uh Daniel, I just want to say that's like, that's such a fun event. And also we're, I'm assuming we're doing this like once every year to five years or something like yeah, that. Yeah, probably spaced out. Cause I figure like renewal of a whole country, that's probably once a generation, honestly. Actually. Every graduating class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could be if it's, if it's every, if it's maybe if it's every 10 years, maybe you need the seedlings frequently then. Um, no, that that's yeah. actually what I was going to say is if you have it be an annual event, yeah. And you could you could stress like, oh, you know, this country hasn't won in a couple of years and they're starting to get really low. Oh, that's true. You know, like so. So maybe there's a little bit more increased desperation. So yeah. like, we need a champion. You know, we need someone. Mm-hmm. It's been too long. We, we ha- you know, our ley lines are growing weak, like adding a sense of urgency by having it be an annual thing. Yeah. But also lowering the lifespan of each of those, you know, kind of ley line mm-hmm. uh plants makes more sense i think yeah because it raises questions too like which we can explore in the the plot hooks in the next episode is like how much do they know about the leeching of the land you know that chris came up with and to what degree are they aware that okay you can keep having these annual seedling contests but sooner or later the leech is going to get you you know well it's funny you should mention that because my conflict for (laughs) this episode and this this is actually uh unrelated Mine is actually the conflict between the people who are trying to find out what uh, what is causing the ley lines to wither and wilt away. Um, okay. So it, it's you know like the ley lines are fading. Good food is getting harder and harder to find. Some people scrounge for ingredients while others seek to find a solution to the wilting ley lines. This is like what I wanted to focus on here was about exploration and adventure, and like discovery, like the stuff that is like that's it's it's not just, you know, like nation against nation. It's about individuals versus nature. It is, you know, like that's the kind of fun part that I really enjoy. But one thing that I really wanted to make sure where we are right now is that what is causing the ley lines to wither is a mystery. And, and and I'm okay with like kind of exploring that concept now, but my main conflict that I really wanted to focus on was the withering ley lines in general. Like I really, I really wanted to make that clear. Mm-hmm. Also, am I wrong? Did we establish that these ley lines were withering last episode? Because I don't yeah. remember that at all. Yeah, I think we did. I think we, we, we established that the land was withering. And then I think, I don't know if it was you or Chris, but when you suggested using ley lines, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And then we said, well, what if they're well, plants? We, we said that the ley lines were strong. We didn't mention that they were weakening. but Yeah, that that's oh. actually what I thought. I thought that we talked about the idea that the food outside of the ley lines is nutritious, but there's no flavor to it. Yeah. And it's the magic through the ley line that gives it flavor. Oh, so I, I thought, like it's funny when you guys said that, I was picturing like, that's true, and because they're weakening, that's why the land is losing its flavor. That's so. That's so mm-hmm. interesting because yeah. my whole deal was like, oh, okay, the ley lines aren't like the ley lines are strong. They're mm-hmm. what's giving the world flavor. Yeah. Well, Not, I guess it's well, true, right? 
Yeah, yeah, but it, but I guess we just kind of came up, we came at it from different angles. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it makes sense to talk more about it though, because that's the central thing. That's the central comment. Yes, and that's and that's actually why I want to talk about it is because this is essentially the equivalent of hey, magic is dying in this world, and we got to figure out how and why. So, how and why they're withering? That is. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. the main. That's the mystery. That's mm-hmm. the mystery that I wanted to include in for the conflict, essentially. We, I mean, we have on the table, so we have on the table Chris's um, leech fields, which I think they must be in some way related. They're clearly causing a, a weakening effect as well, right? Was Chris's major event, was that the thing that started the the weakening of the magic? We can take Chris's scarring of the land and then mm. make it deeper. Yeah. Make it deeper where it's not just the physical land that's being disrupted, but the magic beneath it and infused within. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's, let's continue on then. Let's, let's move on to, uh, uh, Daniel, what was your conflict? Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the cats because, well, awesome. Like fat, magical cats. Like they're the best. Uh, um, sorry. I, I, I need to interrupt here. I okay. believe you mean, chonky beef cats yes the chonky let's, beef let's cats, make it clear okay they're sure. magical right so they're inherently great so um i thought well the cats aside from being like a cheshire cat kind of thing and we know they're wandering around and they're mystical and weird um they seem to all have different flavors cooking philosophies what if yes. there was some um conflict um that that or not conflict but some kind of um i want to start over again what if there was uh an origin to these cats and they were originally one cat that got split into multiple cats um by something that went wrong um whether it was an alchemical um experiment or um an attempt to maybe heal the the ley lines but that the 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 idea was that the cats are, are multiple now and the conflict is that they um i guess among themselves don't know whether they want to be rejoined or whether they want to continue having conflicting like philosophies i fucking love that so much uh i'm immediately i'm looking at it from like a divine perspective right where it might not necessarily it might not necessarily be that this is a an inherently divine creature but like maybe it's a difference in opinion right yeah is this is this a matter of like well you know we split ourselves into seven parts and then came back and all came to seven different conclusions. Exactly. Kind of yeah. Like they're they have a philosophical conflict. And perhaps even one of them is that evil cat who had a very different opinion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> so it's a matter of, hold, hold on. I, I, I'm, I'm losing myself here. Okay. I love this idea. I love the idea that this is one creature that's split into seven. And of course, now they look at the sage cats and like, oh, it's a divine being, right? Mm-hmm. But not necessarily in like a, a worship it type of way, but one that just deserves respect, right? right? Although, of course, obviously with like your, you know, your mayor of Flavortown evil guy there, he's he's probably <laughs> like... He's scheming. He's scheming and he's obviously some, like they, they worship him like a cult, you know, mm-hmm. that I can appreciate. I bet he rivals in power to an individual cat, you know? Yeah. So each one is like an aspect of the personality or the magic of this kind of deified being. They, yeah. They originally were one, but now like they're all individual. They're not like they're individual entities, but they, their, their individuality is from one whole. Right. Essentially, they like one divine being decided, hey, I'm going to split myself into different parts and try and figure out the best solution to this problem. You know, what flavor profile is the best? Mm -hmm. And then they all came back with seven very different answers, (laughs) including the bad cat who decided, well, I'm going to eat all of you. Yes. (laughs) He decided Mm -hmm. that he did. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Now we have to go into cat lore. Yes. Now we have to talk about the idea that there were nine cats and now there are eight because <gasps> the the evil one ate one of them. Yes. He's trying to yeah. rejoin them, but he's like, fuck it. I don't want to be rejoined into what I was originally. I'm going to be my own thing. I'm going to eat all of okay. you guys. Wait. Okay. Hold on. Now we need to talk about, okay, there's, let's say that there's nine. Let's say that there's, because there's nine different flavor profiles, right? Yeah. Or like nine different flavors or 
or methods of cooking. Is this What's like the, the Highlander of cats? Yeah, yes. yes. Of these cats. Of these cats, yes. Uh, of, of chonky beef cats in particular. What is the lost flavor profile slash cooking method? Oh, like the um, like the, the umami or the hidden flavor that people don't know about? MSG. Yeah. <laughs> MSG is, that just enhances flavor. That's oh, it's like umami. umami. Be- before you answer that question, though, the flavors, can they be something that's not um, obvious? Like, instead of salty, could it be like joy is a flavor? Or fear is a flavor and they're very unique weird metaphysical things i love that absolutely i i i love that it's 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 not like you're looking to it's not like you're looking to cook uh you know like spicy i don't i don't want to yeah yeah it's it's a matter of how do you taste nostalgia how do you taste fear how do you and and by the way shout outs to are you afraid of the dark uh (laughs) with that that episode with with uh, no the the fear soup yeah 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 like you cook like they they don't cook to create something that's like you said spicy or salty they cook to make you remember or to make you love or fear in that's, yes. the, that's the evocation of the magic and of course and and isn't that the most powerful thing when it comes to food when yes. you have a food related experience and it's like <gasps> right it like takes your breath away oh specifically God. for that reason so then your question was which one is missing so what's missing from the world Oh man. Okay. Now we're getting into the real deep philosophical Are Can we, can we put a pin in that and just yeah. like put it on like, Hey, that's the mystery part. Something's missing from the, the world. Plot oh, hopes. I love it. Oh my God. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's leave that to be, I, I think that's, that actually might be more interesting if we leave it blank mm-hmm. because that way people can be like, Oh, well, it's obviously this. And that's why this, oh, this, this, debating it. Yeah, exactly. And maybe it can be one of those things where it's like, it's different for each world that you run, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. this world is missing joy. Maybe this land is missing. Oh man, fear. I love this. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's a very, very cool way to do that. Whew. All right. Uh, let's, let's bring it on home. Chris, go ahead and hit us with your conflict. The conflict that I had in mind, I wanted it to be uh, I'm not sure if we did it as the recording or if it was like the after part of it. Uh, the gastron gastronomic uh, monks that were kind of going around uh, and kind of, uh, I, I want to say like a holy crusade. I wanted them to be like book burning of uh, things that they feel like were not following their sacred texts. The I, I believe we t- we called it the gastronomicon. Oh right, the gastronomicon. <laughs> gastronomicon. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so, I just I wanted them to be like uh, people who would go out and like destroy things and deface things that did not conform to their way of belief. Now, now with this, right? Like, what makes them different uh, from the cult that Daniel has? The ones who kind of scrape their tongues and you know, abstain from food in general. What's the difference between them? Because they're still like accepted and they are, they still have like access to the spices and everything. They just don't agree with their uh, usage of what people do. So so they, they, they're still all right with flavor, but it's kind of like, Oh, you put the pepper in too soon. So we're going to have to uh, take all your pots kind of thing. They're the purists. Yes. Oh, yeah. They're they're the ultra purists. So it's like they're the type of chef who thinks that French cooking is the only cooking. Mm-hmm. You can only use a wooden spoon. To not use a wooden spoon is sacred. Uh, is heresy, kind of thing. Okay. Yes. Yeah, they're okay. like the the cooking orthodoxy. Yeah, I had a French chef that once yelled at me because I was just like, "Well, why wouldn't I use a silicon spoon?" And he was just like, "How dare you? Are you fucking questioning me?" <laughs> I love that. So they're like super like not just haughty, but like they're very severe like about this. Like they're really, really deeply into this, you know. They're basically pilgrims. Yeah. Or 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 you know, like that type of religious fervor, you know, where it's all fire and brimstone. Mm-hmm. And in certain cases it might literally be fire and brimstone to cook whatever they're trying to cook. <laughs> <laughs> And and do they so do they now in terms of where they live like what kind of landscape do they live in? Oh, I wanted them to be like have monasteries everywhere and like oh, okay. 
that they like a lot of people rely on them for what they do. It's just the fact that every now and then they kind of go a little bit uh, zealous. What animal are they? A collection of many. Okay. Yeah, I I do want to I do want to push back on the idea that these are monocultures that we're creating here when it comes to this animal is always this way, you know, mm-hmm. like I like the idea that, you know, these nations are more or less, you know, maybe they start out as collectives of certain animals, but it's more like a you know, a menagerie. You know, it's it's when you when you call yourself part of a certain nation, it doesn't mean that they're all foxes, but you know, a, a group of animals. Maybe it's predominantly fox, or maybe it's predominantly deer, or something like that. But it, it differs. Yeah, like oh, I, that. I mean, that would be definitely like a good departure from the average like treatment of of furry characters, almost. Because um, I think what you can get away with with when you have anthropomorphized um, characters like this is you can base a bunch of them off of their instinct. So, like, you can say, like, for example, I don't know, like owly types are brooding and and smart and get away with it whereas like you can't necessarily do that if you're dealing with humanoids without right like you can actually play into Mm -hmm. you know uh species stereotypes yeah and actually i mean you look at i mean we talked about this in the world building of beast stars right like that Mm -hmm. is actually uh, one of the more fascinating aspects of world building in that series that i really appreciate and i'd love to just like kind of copy paste here Mm -hmm. you know where it's like what does that look like and you know what does what does that mean for the implication in this particular setting yeah i also like when we set off certain ones as being special like the cats you know because then you've got a question okay what's what's interesting what makes it so special about a cat that it's different than all the other animals you know yes yes i I do like the deified cat (laughs) or the insect yeah oh you need the insects that's Mm -hmm. How do you get milk? I mean, how do you get aphid, you know, brewery? Yeah, you gotta have aphid Gentlemen, cheese. Gentlemen, I think that's just about to gonna wrap it up for this episode. Um, I I continue to be enamored and excited for this setting. I really do love the the idea and the concept. I I think that we should dig a little bit further into the mechanics of the magic next episode. Mm. In next episode, we're gonna be talking about plot hooks. So you better believe that i'm going to be talking about some magical plot hooks in the next episode yeah i'm only i'm only going to be talking about um aphid drinking dwarves who ride insects you mean moles moles Moles, are perfectly fine exactly so remember that uh if you ever want to send us a prompt or or an idea if you you know what even if you've sent us an idea already and we've done an episode about it you can always uh email us again even if you've already sent an email and we've already done an episode, if you have another idea, send it in, man. There's no problem with that. And if you if you forget the email, I got you. Don't worry. It's worldbuildwithus at gmail.com. Or if you want to do a tweet, that's fine too. You can go ahead and shoot one off there at Let's World Build. And that'll do it for this episode. We'll see you next week. Remember that we love you very much. And we're going to get through this together. <laughs>